The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome to Monday evening. It is uh, 7.06. Yeah, time for the Employment Law Show. Indeed, Stan Fainselberg is on the mic tonight, and he is taking your phone calls, answering your questions, bringing them on, whether you have a boatload about COVID-19, temporary layoff, going back to work, or just general employment law questions. You know the number, 416-870-6400. Lines are open. We are ready for your calls. It is always a live show on a Monday for the most part, so we had... uh, like to make you part of the show because you make it that much better. 416-870-6400. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Bring on the calls. We'll answer all your questions and get you down the road to uh, to knowledge when it comes to employment law. Email. We'll get to a ton of those this evening as well. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And always a reminder, a resource for you, 24-7, absolutely free and anonymous. That would be pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. So check that out as we do the show. And you might have reference to it throughout the show as well. But uh, we'll get right into it here. Uh, Stan, my brother, what do you got for the uh, the week that was? What's happening? Hey, John. How are you doing? So, Good, buddy. Uh, in, the, in the week that was, uh, a very interesting decision came across my desk, which I think uh, the viewers, frankly, need to know about. Mm-hmm. And it is a landmark Uber ruling that found that its drivers had been misclassified all along. Uh, now, wow. frankly, people may not have heard of this ruling, and that's because it came from the court system in California. And, you know, before I get into it, I just want to start with the, the, the caveat that uh, should be obvious to many, which is when you're dealing with an, a different country, they have different laws. We can't simply assume that because uh, Uber drivers are employees there, that means the same thing will be here. But nevertheless, you know, having gone through this decision, I did find a lot of very interesting nuggets there that I think can very much resonate in Canada. And, you know, as as you know, the the case ongoing with Uber right now. Um, And specifically, a lot of the court's rulings, when it comes to the facts of this relationship, I think are very important. And I'm sure the Canadian courts will look very closely at some of those rulings. You know, one thing that Uber tried to say in as part of this case is that it was not a transportation company. It and therefore drivers were not central to the company's operations, <laughs> to the business. Well, you know, what it's I know you scoff, but you know, to make what they actually called themselves is a multi sided platform. That was the official term their lawyers came up with for wow. what Uber does. Uh, and, you know, I think your skull, it was very well timed in place because the court thought the same thing, John. Uh, yeah. it, in its opinion, you know, it stated flatly, to state the obvious, drivers are central, not tangential, to Uber and Lyft's entire ride-hailing business. Of course, because what these companies do, they deliver. They deliver people, they deliver food, but at the end of the day, they deliver something using employees as drivers to do that delivery. Uh, one other, but well, there was one particular quote that, that I really loved, loved coming out of this decision, and that was talking about the equities of this situation, you know, the real-life implications of this misclassification of employees by Uber and Lyft in these companies. And, and what the court said about this was that turning to the equities the people have shown that substantial public harm will result if the court declines to issue an injunction. Uh, 
in the specific context involved here, both the legislature and their Supreme Court have found that misclassification of workers as independent contractors deprives them of a panoply of basic rights and protections in which employees are entitled to under California law, including minimum wage, workers' compensation, unemployment insurance, paid sick leave, and paid family time off. All of those things that people can't access because Uber and Lyft won't properly call them what they are. Wow. Yeah. And in the face of all this, you know, this landmark decision, what's Uber's response? Uber has decided to threaten to leave California if they don't get their way and have this decision stayed and overturned. And, you know, bringing it back to Canada, as I mentioned earlier, John, as I'm sure you know and many of our listeners know, Sam Fiorotomarkin is leading right now a class action lawsuit against Uber based on this very issue. That's right. And I have no doubt that Lior Samfiri will be bringing this decision into court, you know, and having Uber explain itself as to why it continues to misclassify people and continues to deprive them of the laws that we all agree employees have and all the rights that they have as well. You know, it's interesting, too, because it could very well, based on what you said there, and now, I mean, of course, the the employment laws, as you said, in a different country, for the purpose of this conversation, the U.S. are very different. It's generally employment at will, which means a company can let you go any time. You're kind of hung out to dry. It's not a safe place to be down there. New York and closer California are a little a little more relatable to what Canadian law, at least Ontario, maybe B.C. law is, but still not as robust. So I think it's really going to have implications up here, and I know that's why Lior is all over this because, I mean, we have severance. We, are, we have a decent, uh, you know, common laws up here that protect workers. So if you're classified by a company such as this as an independent contractor and they forego any obligation in that regard, that's going to be a problem. California, yes, but Ontario even more. So this is, this is really going to, uh, to boil over to something very interesting, I would imagine, in the next few months, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, John. And I mean, there's so many implications that that ruling like this can have beyond just the severance side, you know, vacation pay, overtime pay, paid sick sick leave, paid breaks. You know, what I I recall reading often about these Uber drivers in California, one of the main issues they have is they just don't have a place to go to the bathroom because you're always on the clock and, you know, their office doesn't come equipped with a bathroom. And now they'll actually have the ability to, to go to the bathroom and be paid for that time as well and not have to worry about picking one or the other. Yeah. So they're just basic human rights like that, John, that I think you know, rulings, you know, the courts will hopefully eventually get to and, and find in, in people's favor. Again, the number of 416-870-6400. The lines are open here at the uh, the station, ready to take your calls. You have a question for Stan about anything with your job or employment or severance or temporary layoff or COVID-19. Bring it on. That's why we do this show so many times during the week tonight, Wednesday night, the weekend shows, and, of course, Employment Law Show on Global TV and CTV on your weekend mornings as well. You can catch the televised 30-minute version. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. I want to get to a bunch of emails now as they relate to our topic of the week, and that would be employee versus contractor. Which are you? So let's get into this uh, right away, Stan. we got a lot of time here before we got to take a break and get some calls lined up. Uh, Dave off the hobby says, uh, Stan, I've worked for a company for the last five years as a truck driver, full-time hours, Monday to Friday. 
I do own the truck I drive, but I work exclusively for them. They just let me go with no severance and said I'm a contractor. Is that legal? Well, yeah, the, the trucking industry, John, is one of those notorious industries where you get this particular problem. Because, mm-hmm. frankly, in the trucking industry, there tends to be a lot more independent contractors than in most industries. But a situation like this where you have an individual who's working exclusively for a company for five years, it has his hours set, it sounds like, by the company. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing about the truck and the, obviously the company owning the truck, that's only one factor to consider when looking into this relationship. The, mm-hmm. owning, you know, who owns the equipment is certainly a factor our courts have said you need, uh, the, the courts have to consider and the parties need to consider when determining this question. But yeah. again, it's one, only one of those factors. And at the end of the day, looking at the situation, I mean, it's hard to call anyone who works full time for one company for five years, anything less than an employee. You know, the only other thing that really would make sense here is dependent contractor, which we all know, John, is that intermediary position between an employee and an independent contractor. And and guess what? I mean, dependent contractors have the exact same rights in this situation to severance as employees in any case. And the, I mean, the basic, uh, the basic framework for the dependent contractor, which you you did just mention, is is one such where you may have several clients as a uh, as an, a business owner, but you rely on one client for the bulk of your income, and therefore that company, if they ever decide to sever ties, would have a huge impact on your income, and therefore owe you severance, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, that's basically what our courts have said that the the yeah. main uh, the main difference between an independent and dependent contractor is financial dependence. You know, if you are very predominantly dependent on a single company or customer for your income, such that if you lose that customer, you're you're in effect have lost your business. That's a dependent relationship, and in that relationship, our courts have said that that uh, contractor is also entitled to severance and termination pay. It is 416-870-6400. Lots of time still as we get into our uh, first few minutes of the show here. You want to talk to Stan, ask some questions. That's why we invite you on the show and be an active part of it. Uh, Next one up is Steph. Steph says, guys, I started working as a salesperson for a company 30 years ago. 30 years ago as a contractor. We signed a simple contract back then calling me a contractor and setting some other terms. Probably the first five years I worked for them mostly as a side job to my other full-time job. I would say the next 10 years, decade, I worked for them 50% of the time and another company 50%. After that, I worked exclusively for them, selling only their products. They just terminated me and said I'm a contractor and I'm not entitled to anything. I know I started as a contractor and signed something a long time ago, but that said, is that still how it works? Well, that's a really interesting scenario there because there's actually multiple stages going on there. And and an individual can actually go from being an independent contractor to employee, depending on the actual substance of the relationship. So, you know, to start off with, as, as the employee, as the individual had mentioned, you know, the first five years, it was a side job. They had another full time job. And, you know, that's what the parties agreed to. They, they signed a contract that said, we're, you're a contractor. It was you know something that was minor. Probably those first five years, John, it's fair to say that that person was an independent contractor. Uh, and then you get into the next several years, as you mentioned, where he's working predominantly between two places, you know, 50% yep. from one, 50% from the other. 
Well, now you're starting to see a little bit more financial dependence on this company. Right. But you can't say that he's entirely financially dependent or, you know, nearly exclusively financially dependent on this company. 50-50, I mean, if he lost this one job, he's got 50% of his income coming from another source. So even in that scenario, I would say that's still likely an independent contractor. But then when you're talking about the next 15 or so years, years, yeah. yeah. Where, you know, you only work for the one company, you don't work anywhere else, you make all your income from that company. Mm-hmm. That is with almost unquestionably an employee or, you know, if depending on the specifics, possibly a dependent contractor. But it, but it shows you, this fascinating shows you that you can transition through these phases yeah. as the substance of the relationship changes. Let me ask you something quick before we we got to take a break, but I'm just going to ask you this quickly. If uh, if it turns out that, okay, fine, the last 15 years, he's exclusively works for them, so he would be an employee there. If it gets to the point of calculating severance, would it include the previous 15 years where it was 50-50 and then just here and there, or would it just be strictly the 15 most recently? So I would, I mean, it's kind of a combination of both, John. I would right. say that, the, you know, when the court evaluated the length of service, they would consider, yes, the 15 years is the appropriate length of service because that's when, you know, technically the person was an employee. Okay. But the fact, you know, the test for when we consider reasonable notice, it, it's very multifaceted. There's no, there's no list of factors to consider. And, it's, you know, it's certainly open to the court and to a judge to say, but, yeah, you know, he also worked for 15 years for this company before then. And yeah, I mean, we don't find that he was an employee or dependent contractor for those years, but it can, you know, certainly lead them to believe that, to to find that. Well, it's going to be even harder for him to find a job now since he hasn't had to look for one for thirty years. And maybe we should give him some consideration for those previous years, and maybe we should uh, provide for a little bit more notice in a situation like this. That's certainly a factor that courts have considered, and I'm sure will consider in the future. Let's take a, a short break, Stan, and I'll get you to just uh, stand by for a, for a couple moments here. Al, we see you. Stand by. Do not hang up your phone. We're going to get to your call as soon as we come back, and for you as well. Bring it on. That's why we're here. 416-870-6400 is the phone number. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Employment Law Show right here, Global News Radio. The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back indeed. It is uh, 7.23. Lots of time for you to call in and add to the show. That's why we uh, get you to call in 416-870-6400. Your employment law concerns here to be answered by Stan Fanselberg tonight, uh, taking over the show right till around 10 to 8. So, uh, so bring it on. We'll also get back into our topic of the week, and that is employee or contractor. Which one are you? That's on the way with more emails. But first, I want to go with the phones. As always, our top priority. Al, thank you so much for standing by. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for taking the call, guys. Appreciate it. Love the you show. Bet. Thanks, uh, man. So, so this is an employer uh, situation, employer perspective. So, uh, mm-hmm. an individual uh, who was employed for less than uh, two years uh, tendered her resignation, mutually accepted. The individual was going to night school during her employment. Employer knew full well that she, you know, when she completed her schooling, she wanted to move on to something different. The resignation, though, was tendered a week before the COVID shutdown. So 
the two weeks notice was provided one weekend it was like uh oh i'm not going to be able to go into my new profession or new job can i stick around for the mm -hmm. short term and again remember early on we thought it was only going to be two weeks and then you know yeah. four weeks unfortunately now it, it's morphed into uh you know five months what obligation does the employer now have to that individual has the employer by and again it was reduced hours during covid yeah. but has the employer by agreeing to have that person stay on negated the impact of the um accepted resignation letter again it was not a an uh you know, it, it was something that was mutually agreed on. This individual wanted to pursue something else. Yeah, I, I hear you, Al. And I mean, I, I think that if at the time, you know, it, uh, once COVID hit and if she and that employee has to come back, the employer probably had a pretty strong argument to say, well, you've resigned and, you know, I've now taken steps to, to affect that resignation. So unfortunately, you can't come back. But I also think you hit the nail on the head when you earlier said that by by kind of acting as if that resignation didn't happen by both parties not actually following through on what was the initial agreement they've essentially you know concluded that that wasn't that never actually took place that you know whatever happened they've agreed that to move beyond it and now you're at the point where you've got a continuous employee you've accepted that ultimately they didn't resign at the time they said and you've revoked the resignation by allowing them to continue working thereafter. Uh, now, there have been some ways to possibly you know, get around that by maybe creating a subsequent agreement that says, well, I'll keep you on for the next several months, or, you know, well, I'll do the best I can. But realistically, if it's just a matter of where the employee came to you and said, I'm, I want to come back, and you said, okay, I'll, I'll bring you back, you know, you've waived your, your right to rely on that resignation at that point. So then looking at any type of severance, it, it sh it, the severance should be looked at in its totality of em employment tenure. Yeah, so the I think you said around two years or so. Yeah, I mean, it, you, can't, you can't accept, you, you can't kind of say there was a break in the, the service at any point, even though the, the employee had tendered a resignation. So it would be the full two years that you have to look at from a severance perspective. Yep, okay. That, that makes yeah. sense. Just wanted to verify that. Great. No, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Cheers. Al. Have a good evening. Appreciate uh, your time. If you want to reach out to Stan any further, you probably know the number already. You sound like you've uh, caught the show many times before. one 821 5900 would be the way. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Do like Al. Make the right move. See, get some answers. Only takes a couple minutes. 416-870-6400 is the way to call through and ask. Anytime you want to uh, reach out for more information when we're not doing the show, be it a Monday night or Wednesday or the weekend shows, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is the way to do that. Let's get back into whether uh, you're an employee or a contractor. Which one are you? Kamal writes in says, guys, I am a professional chiropractor and have worked at a clinic for the last 13 and a half years, twice a week. For the other days of the week, I have always generally worked at other clinics. I use a combination of mine and their equipment and pay, and they pay me a flat percentage per patient. And I'm wondering if I could be classified as an employee. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, by the sounds of it, I think it would be a really difficult argument to make no. for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, number one is you've got the fact that, that, he's, that this individual has always worked at multiple places, you know, as, as they work at this one place as well. 
Uh, the second factor is, I mean, they bring in their own equipment sometimes and they've agreed to a per- pay per percentage. So essentially, if they're not seeing patients, they're not making money. Right. Uh, what, but one other factor that kind of gets introduced in this scenario that you probably haven't mentioned before is the fact that this is a, an individual in a professional capacity. And ultimately, you know, the law is the law and individuals' agreements don't matter in the face of the law. Because you can't agree to something that's illegal. You can't agree to call yourself a contractor when it's when it's factually not true. But they, the courts do consider the intentions of the parties as well when they enter these relationships, and they hold individuals who are professionals to a somewhat higher standard, with the un- understanding that these people, you know, having uh, probably a higher degree of education, uh, would know what they're agreeing to, and that we should give greater weight to that fact in that scenario than if we're dealing with an individual with perhaps a very low education background who's just trying to frankly take any job they can uh so so that's one factor as well here that that i think would lead a court more than likely to find that this person was an a true independent contractor Let's move on to uh, Joanne. Appreciate the, uh, the email, by the way, Kamal. You want to uh, reach out now on air, 416-870-6400 to call into the station. Now you got lots of time. We are live, of course. Joanne says, I am a real estate agent for a brokerage. They call me an independent contractor. I have to work through them and even have a non-compete if I try to go somewhere else. Is that legal? Mm-hmm. I've always wondered about real estate agents. Always wondered about yeah. Another another industry where, again, notoriously misclassifying people as independent contractors when they're really employees. And here, I mean, even the, this entire brokerage system is uh, created almost for that purpose, it seems to me at least, because the brokers don't uh, own anything other than the brand and the individuals work with the brokerage. Mm-hmm. Yet they sign these contracts, as this individual seems to have done, that says they can only work with this brokerage. And in fact, if they try to go work anywhere else, you know, they're barred based on an, a non-compete agreement. Right. So those, I mean, certainly those two factors alone are antithetical to this idea of an independent contractor. An independent contractor, again, to just bring it back to the basics, is a person in business for themselves. They can work with this person. They can work with that person. They can, they can choose not to work if that's what they want. That's what being in business for yourself means. Having having terms that restrict you to this in such a way that you can only work with one entity is antithetical to that idea. And therefore, I don't think it'd be any difficulty to conclude that this real estate agent is a employee or at the minimum a dependent contractor. Yeah, so I've always wondered because, you know, you think, you think you know, they do a lot on their own. They, they kind of set their own hours. They handle their own uh, clients. They go and get their own clients, and they, you know, they use the, their contacts in that way. But like you said, they generally might have a home office. Now, now, I mean home. I don't mean the house they live in. I mean a home office, somewhere, whatever brokerage it is that they go to, maybe once a week, twice a week. You know, they might have a desk. You know, they might have a trunk full of signs with the brokerage name all over it. I mean, they, they are basically employees, are they not? It sounds like they are for the most part. You, the argument sounds like it could be made, but I always thought they were employees. I mean, I certainly think that in most, in a lot of scenarios, you're going to see that these people are really employees based on substance. Yeah. But I do see scenarios, you know, where I talk to these people and, you, and I say, and, and it does ultimately look to me like they are independent contractors. Um, you know, a lot of times they're just renting this space for their own purposes. And, you know, they have 
they use the company's business and get clients from the uh, the brokerage, but then sometimes they also have something on the side where they don't have to pay the brokerage any fees for those clients. So you know there are there is some some reality to some of these individuals actually being contractors in this industry. It's just that it's far too often that people are misclassified here yeah. when really you know they're working under one one sale one guy who owns the brokerage and then who signs the deal with the the brand and they have to go through that guy or through that brokerage and really you're just you're not in business for yourself you're working through these people who are taking a cut off the top they're providing you with services don't get me wrong yeah. but nevertheless they're taking their cut and they're and they're using you as a central individual to their business. I mean, that is their business. They're in the business of selling real estate, and that's exactly what a real estate agent does. 416-870-6400 is the number to call through. John, thanks for standing by. How are you tonight? I'm not too bad. How are you guys doing? Beautiful. Loving Good. it. What's uh, what's on your mind, pal? Um, well, uh, one of uh, Lior's lawyers is representing me uh, in a case against my employer. Oh, wow. And uh, they, mm-hmm. they served him on the 5th of august with papers to superior court because that's what the suit is now of course 12 days after they were served i get a email asking me to go back to work um i believe there was never any intention to call me back to work in the first well it was a layoff and then but on on my record of employment he actually put that i quit (laughs) yeah yeah he didn't want to pay obviously severance or termination whatever you want to call it so I'm just wondering, uh, should I respond or should I just forward this well, I, I to uh, Luke? I should speak to your counsel uh, about this situation. And, you know, I don't know enough of the facts, so I, I hesitate to, to kind of provide, you know, provide you with legal advice. Again, I, I think you should deal with the person who's representing you who would have a much better uh, understanding of your situation. But from, a, you know, from a general high, uh, general perspective, from a macro perspective, it seems like there's an element there that you can show, well, this is not being done in good faith or that, uh, you know, this, there was, was never the intention. This is not a real callback. It's a bluff. Ultimately, the law is such that an employee doesn't have to go back to a humiliating situation, to a situation where they don't think they'll be treated fairly or treated with respect. And if you can provide evidence to the court, such as, you know, that ROE, which I think is a very crucial piece of evidence, then to, to substantiate why you believe that, the court may very well find that that's that this uh, recall was always a sham and, and that you had no responsibility or requirement to go back in that scenario. Yeah, they never responded to anything that was ever sent to them before, and now all of a sudden they're responding. Well, well, I imagine what's happened here is that they went and spoke to a lawyer, and the lawyer said, you, you know, you guys are screwed. You probably need to pay this guy some money. The only def- chance you have is if you call him back and hope that he refuses, right. and therefore you can use that as an argument to minimize how much you owe him. Well, and then what if he calls me back and then just makes my life miserable while I'm there and forces me to quit? That's part of you know the, what I was saying earlier, which is if you, it's a toxic work environment, if this is all just a sham and recall, then as long as you can just provide the court with the evidence to substantiate that, you're not going to have to stay in that situation. All right. So I don't have to go back. That's what I was kind of worried about. 
Well, again, I think we should speak to your counsel directly because, again, I, I don't have all the facts, so you shouldn't rely on my what I'm saying over the radio as legal advice. Uh, but I think you've got some, some points that you can make as to why you shouldn't have to go back if that's how you feel. John, I'm going to let you go and, and move on here. Appreciate the phone call, though. You're in good hands. That is uh, that is for sure. The number to call in, 416-870-6400. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Employee or contractor, which are you? Blair says, guys, I worked as a, a drywaller for a small construction company and have worked there for seven years consecutively. Every winter, my boss lays us off for three months, so I usually pick up jobs wherever I can during this time, which I do through a company I used to run before I took my current job. Would I be considered a contractor or an employee? So, yeah, I mean, this one kind of presented from both angles, John, right? Because he's working you know, almost exclusively with my company, but he's got some jobs on the side, and he's running his own business through his own company by the sounds of it. But what I would say is going on here from a legal perspective is that this person is definitely an employee. And one thing that a lot of people don't seem to recognize is you could be an employee for multiple companies at the same time. You you know, you don't, unless you have a contract that specifies you have to work exclusively for us, which some contracts do, you are free to give out your services and labor to as many companies as you want and as many hours as you want to fill. As long as you're fulfilling your duties owed to any one particular company at that time, then that's that's all that's required of you. You can work from being an employee of two companies simultaneously at the same time. And that's probably a portion of what's going on here. Blair, you want to reach out any further, you know how to do that. 1-855-821-5900 is the way to go. Let's get down to, uh, to Lee. Lee says, I work for a trucking company as a driver. Um, I called the Ministry of Labor about a pay issue, and they said they could not help me because I worked for a trucking company. Okay, Can you please explain what they mean? So, so trucking is a really in, weird industry in the sense that it's actually – it can fall under both provincial and federal jurisdictions. And as far as I can think, that's really the only industry that can kind of work its way between the two. And the reason that is, John, is that mm-hmm. – what our constitution says with relation to federal jurisdiction is that it's anything that crosses provincial or international borders falls under federal jurisdiction. And so a trucking company can do both. It can work only within a province in which case it would only be regulated by that province. But once it starts crossing provincial or international borders, it can become federally regulated. And that's what sounds like happened here to uh, believe that he called the provincial ministry of labor who told them that they cannot handle it because his company is likely federally regulated. And so he needs to go through the department of labor uh, at the federal level to have his wage issue determined and heard. 416-870-6400. That is the number. Will, thank you for taking the time. Good evening. Good evening. How are you, sir? Good, fella. How are you? What's going on with you? Not good, not good at all. Actually, I'm calling on behalf of my wife. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, she's uh, working in the company for 16 years. And uh, because of COVID uh, uh, in the March, end of the March, uh, uh, they uh, lay her down, right? Lay down. Uh-huh. Lay her off, yeah. Yeah, they lay off. And uh, for uh, four months, 
Then uh, she started working like uh, uh, two weeks ago, right? But mm-hmm. when, she, when she came uh, back to, to the job, uh, they, uh, because, uh, because they are very slow, company is very slow, and uh, they already are uh, firing a few people, right? And she thinks now uh, the big chance for her to uh, let her go. Right. You know, so she, she just wondered uh, for uh, how much she's entitled for severance pay. Good call. Okay. So can you tell me uh, how old your wife is, sir? Yeah, she's 58 years of age. And what was her position? What's her job? She's a general labor. She's a what, sorry? General, general labor. labor? Yeah. Okay. So 58, 16 years in that position. I think from a court perspective, she's probably looking at a notice period somewhere in the 16 to 18-month range, possibly 20 months with you know the right judge and the right luck. Uh, probably something in that range for your wife. Sorry? S- something like 16 to 18 months of pay. 15 to 18 months of pay. So if uh, if they uh, let her go, uh, guys, can I call you, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I know I know your uh, number, 1-800. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in touch with you definitely if this happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us a call. We'll be happy to help you, your wife out. You bet. Well, if if your spidey sense is going off and she thinks that it's you know not necessary or to determine it, but if it's likely, call that number one eight five five one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the way to go. Will email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Couldn't be easier. And pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is full of information as well. I'm going to continue with another email or two here as we get a few more minutes of the show to go. Might squeeze in a call if we. Uh, if we have time, again, it is uh, employee or contractor. Which are you? Sarah says, I came to a verbal agreement with a company about starting a new position with them. We had agreed on all terms, money, start date, etc., etc., and then I uh, resigned from my former employer. But a week before I was going to start, they said they didn't need me anymore. I now have no job at all and no income or severance. Is there anything I can do? Yeah. Uh, so, th- I mean, there's actually two things I think that Sarah can do in this situation, John. Uh, one would be to take action against the company for wrongful dismissal, because even though she never worked at that company, she did have an employment contract and came to employment terms with them. Yeah. And, and as such, they can't just terminate her as they've done here or breach the contract without how owing her some form of severance. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, what I also think Sarah has uh, a claim for here is what we call negligent misrepresentation because this company represented to Sarah that they had a job and they gave her all the impressions and the terms and everything like that of, of a position that was there and ready for her to go. And based on that representation, Sarah went and resigned from her former employer, essentially relying on the representation to her own detriment. And so because of that, those are the essential elements of negligent misrepresentation of the tort. And so because the company has made a representation, which they did negligently and was false, and that because Sarah relied on it to her own, to her own detriment, the company is now liable for any damages that flow from this representation or misrepresentation. So what would she be owed if it came that? What, uh, what, how is that based? So, well, in this particular case, the damages, I think, are actually kind of easy to figure out because the damages are whatever the contract says. The damages are the job that she lost 
for so long as she has no job. At some point, she will find a new job and then will, similar to wrongful dismissal damages, begin to mitigate her damages and decrease how much the company owes her. But in this scenario, the, the damages that flow are the fact that she didn't have the job that they promised her. I think we have time for one more email before we uh, wrap it up tonight, Stan. That would be uh, Norvik. Norvik says, uh, hi, guys. How much notice do I have to give my employer if I want to resign? Mm-hmm. So the, the general answer is that you don't have to give your employer notice. Uh, unless you have a contract that says, I have to, you know, you give us two weeks notice if you want to resign. There is no set amount of notice that an employee has to give an employer upon resigning. Uh, there's no Employment Standards Act in reverse for employers in this situation. But what there is, is is a tort called wrongful resignation, which is the exact opposite of a wrongful dismissal, which is if you resign in a way that causes your company harm, and you should have been clearly aware that your resignation would cause the company harm yeah. in that scenario, uh, then you can be liable for wrongful resignation. Now, usually this is something that's obvious because we have a contract that says you give us four weeks and the person leaves right away. And let's say because of that, some uh, uh, the company loses some form of business. Sure. They can now sue the employee and say, had you not left and had you given us the right amount of res- uh, notice as you were required to by contract, we would not have lost this business. Therefore, you are now liable for the damages that you caused. Uh, But even if you don't have a contract, there is something called reasonable notice of resignation. It's it's nothing similar to, you know, reasonable notice of termination. We're not talking about months like we do in that that scenario. But certainly, you know, there is this idea that if you know you're going to cause harm to your employer directly by leaving them in a lurch, you should give them some notice of the resignation so they can prepare for that and ensure that and mitigate the possibility of that harm being caused. And that's a good way to uh, wrap it up for another, uh, another evening. Nicely done, Stan, and uh, appreciate all your phone calls and emails as well. You want to reach out to Stan or Lior, member of their team. No problem. Here's how you do that. one 821 5900 the number help at employmentlawyer.ca. And always, it resonates well, full of information. If you use it, just check it out. It's free. It's anonymous. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is the website as well. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Alex Pearson is standing by on point. Continues. Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.